Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. Four, we are all about provocative inquiry. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. Our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Ravinder, tell us all about your chat room. We have a wonderful chat room, a great group of people, and I would love to see you there too. That is, of course, if you are somewhere where it is safe to do and your boss won't be angry with you. Uh, Come join in the conversation. Um, We all learn a lot. Um, have lots of fun and it certainly adds a whole new dimension to the interview that's uh, being played on the air so come join us that's provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat all right in today's spotlight i wish to discuss self-esteem by way of definition or reference at least uh, with respect to today's comments self-esteem describes a person's overall sense of self-worth or personal value It's the feeling of self-appreciation and is an indispensable emotion for people to adapt to society and live their lives. I read a study just yesterday that pointed out the importance of cultivating a strong sense of self-esteem in our youth in teaching them how to earn self-esteem. I posted the study on my Facebook page and was surprised by comments that discounted the benefit of self-esteem. However, There has recently been no shortage of books and articles that have attacked the idea as a tool used to create narcissists, egoists, and otherwise vain, prideful jerks. One of the comments on my Facebook page drew attention to a new book titled Rethinking Narcissism. The underlying theory in this book suggests that one can be too low on the narcissism continuum and this thereby contributes to reduced assertiveness. Now, just as a reminder, a narcissistic person is someone who thinks he or she is more important than and superior to other people. Narcissists need to be the center of attention, think they are entitled to special treatment, and have a hard time getting along with others because they lack empathy. I find the way much of our modern parlance seems to conflate ideas, constructs, and issues amusing sometimes. Think about it for a minute. What is one half of a narcissist? How about one quarter? Are we not all, in some sense, inclined to think of ourselves as special? And isn't that as it should be? Are we not all taught from the beginning that we are special, if only in the eyes of God. Each of us possess special and unique talents. We have different fingerprints, different DNA, and so forth. So the very fact that we are truly unique gives rise to some sense of specialness. Then we have our unique subjective experiences and interpretations, including all of those special ones that defy standard explanations, the type I spoke about last week. When we read a book, we take away something that is different, no matter how slightly, than someone else who reads the same book. High school students are often confounded by the information literary critics take away from books the students read. How many times have you heard something like this? How do they get that out of this? When you look closely, everything is on a continuum something like Jeremy Bentham's hedonic calculus. But instead of hedons of pleasure and hedons of pain, we have units of definition and consequently notions such as half of narcissism. Here's the real bottom line. Splitting hairs and redefining everything only dims the light that should be shined on the necessity of a healthy self-esteem. 
When you are confident about yourself, you are far less easily swayed, less vulnerable to group pressure, and therefore much more ready to think and act independently. Studies have repeatedly demonstrated that the sheeple crowd, if you will, are approached, or that is, they gain power fastest, those that would manipulate us among this group. Not only that, but the fellow who sees the relevance of the herd more important than their own critical thinking will no doubt fall victim to the Genovese effect and a host of other socially undesirable behaviors. Indeed, as Maslow pointed out, self-actualization only comes following the acquisition of a healthy sense of self-esteem. My thoughts anyway. What are your thoughts, Ravinder? Well, I think there's so much food for thought in that. You know, there is a huge difference between a healthy self-esteem and, you know, some of the unreal expectations that go on today. So, um, you know... In schools these days, they often don't have a first, second, third prize. They have participation events because they don't want to damage someone's self-esteem. Um, and that's not the way to go because that is false. You know, you believe yourself to be better than you are as opposed to striving to become the best person that you can be. Having a healthy self-esteem is absolutely vital for being an individual in today's world. So you're not swayed by the crowd and following other ideas having a self-esteem is the basis of true genius you know because you have the ability to have new ideas as opposed to just going along with whatever everyone else says is popular and correct and cool you know just as we see ego um misused over and over today at least according to its original definition that's what we see when you describe self-esteem as being built by let's give everybody the same prize. That doesn't build self-esteem. That is not what self-esteem no. is. You know, self-esteem is something you earn. It is something that you learn through your own diligence to begin to appreciate yourself over. It's not something someone gives you. It's something you earn. You and that's, a, that's what self-esteem is. And the minute you start describing it as something else, well, you're talking about something else. Absolutely. You do have to value yourself and you have to have something to be valued. So you do work for it. That's right. Okay. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our guest was Dr. Roy Hill and we discussed his work and book, psychology and the near-death experience. Alan wrote, I find the psychology of human needs more than adequate to explain NDEs. CB remarked, I like that he had research materials on the tip of his tongue. I have a hard time with that. Sounds like he researched the topic pretty deeply. Just the rabbit holes of where belief may take one down assumptions. But he was much less prone to this than some guests. Love the show. R.K. commented, I like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, but that was a very convenient answer. If evil exists, then it does not follow gentlemanly rules. But that is an interesting idea that it is bad people who have negative NDEs. James commented, maybe the reason there are not more people telling about bad NDEs is they are afraid of being called bad people. You know, James, I think you're right. The minute that if you want to suppress uh, experiences that are the opposite of whatever you're trying to sell, just label them bad. They're really good at doing that in politics nowadays. All right, moving on. Bill wrote, I've read two of your books and found them interesting, informative, and thought-provoking. I have an interesting experience I'd like to share with you. I have no rational explanation. It happened in my car many years ago. I was driving home from a Mets baseball game. I was on the Whitestone Bridge in bumper-to-bumper traffic. Suddenly, my engine started overheating. Steam was escaping from the engine. The temperature gauge showed significant overheating. I pulled over. I was stranded in monumental traffic. A car pulled in behind me. A man got out and asked what was the problem. He looked under the hood and saw a radiator hose burst, and I lost my radiator coolant. 
He went back to his car, got out some tools, cut, clamped, and reattached the hose. He then got from the trunk of his car a gallon of radiator coolant and poured the contents into my radiator. I was saved. I offered to pay him. He refused. He made just one request. If you see someone who needs help, help if you can. I asked him his name. He just replied, Esposito. What are the chances that this was some kind of coincidental happening? I thought not. I believe he was a guardian angel in physical form. You know, last week's spotlight was all about this sort of subjective experience, Bill. And it's important that we share this kind of information. So thank you for sharing. Thoughts on that one, Ravinder? You know, I... Yeah, no, I just have to agree. There are some amazing things that go on. And when you think of them as your guardian angel, it just adds a special reverence to them. So, yeah, whichever way it is, it's special, it's magical, and you need to acknowledge them. You know, one of the things that we sometimes forget about each other is that every one of us are special. Absolutely. Okay. You're my guardian angel. You know that very often, okay? You're and, my sight. Yeah. But, but, but you're not over there with angel wings. <laughs> oh, goodness, do you not have angel wings? No, they're, <laughs> they're a bit dirty, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> and Kelly wrote, Dr. Ellen Taylor, you have no idea how much it means to me to be able to make contact with you. You are my favorite author and my biggest inspiration. I love every one of your books. I just finished mine programming, and you have challenged my beliefs and values to the very core. And by doing this, you have opened my mind to such an extent, I feel like I can see what is being projected. What I believe, and somewhere in the middle lies the answer. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Kelly. I am honored by your words. Life is indeed our personal inquiry. And in order to be true to our journey, we must be willing to ask the tough questions. Question everything. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook, and I want to thank all of you for your letters and comments. My tag on Facebook, by the way, I've been asked this, I should make it clear, is Dr. Eldon Taylor. You truly do appreciate, we truly do appreciate your feedback and support. Okay, that's enough, huh? Now to this week's show, The Power of Discovering Who You Really Are and Time in a Bottle, Mastering the Experience of Life with author Howard Falkel. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. Howard Falkel is a peak performance or mindfulness coach to college and professional athletes, CEOs and corporate executives, and individuals looking for a new way of overcoming life's challenges and achieving exceptional results. He has authored two books about self-awareness, self-awareness and the power of personal creation. His copy reads, and I quote, In late 2002, in the middle of ordinary life, this married father of two went through a sudden and extraordinary expansion of mind. The dramatic depth and breadth of this shift unveiled the answers to many of the largest and deepest questions that humanity seeks answers for on a regular basis such as why am I here, how do I create my deepest dreams and desires, and how do I achieve lasting peace and fulfillment. During his awakening, the core essence underlying all human creation, action, reaction, joys, and suffering were revealed to him. Stunned and inspired by this occurrence and the resulting powerful knowledge, Howard set out to honor what happened by sharing what he learned and teaching others how to tap into this state of mind and being. Close quote. So on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. Howard Falco. Thank you. It's an honor to be on. Well, good. I'm glad that you're here, sir. I've been looking forward to this interview. I enjoyed your books. Oh, let's you. begin by having you share your own spiritual awakening. Please tell us about the experience and contrast who you are now with who you were before the experience. Boy, that's like talking about two different lifetimes. Um well, I always had a very deep curiosity and some very deep questions on the nature of life itself, which started the first time I ever looked up and truly saw uh, the stars in the night sky. It was an astonishing and breathtaking experience for me. I was, I was taken on a camping trip when I was about 14 up to 
the north woods of Minnesota, very near the Canadian border. And uh, we got there when it was dark. I was excited to explore the surroundings. I went right to the end of a, of a dock where our cabin sat on this beautiful lake, and I just stared into the darkness. And I was taken aback by the, if you'll um, pardon the, the expression, the, the sound of silence. I, I couldn't believe there was no, a lack of sound growing up in the Chicago land area, which you're familiar with all the time. So I was stunned by that and this sort of beautiful setting I was in. And then I started to see what looked like light shining up on different parts of the lake. And as I looked around, they were glowing off the entire lake itself. And for a minute, I didn't know what was going on until I looked up. And when I looked up, something dramatic shifted in me. I could not believe what I was seeing. And a thousand questions were birthed upon that moment about the nature of life and existence. And throughout my lifetime, I just had some bigger existential questions that, that I, I wanted to answer, just like many millions of people do. And I thought I was on the path to finding happiness and peace in one's soul. Um, I put myself through school out in Arizona. I uh, fell in love and got married. I had two children all these check marks sort of on my list of things to do to become happy. Um, I, I bought a first home, I got my job, I started working and doing well. And what was starting to bother me is the more things that I checked off the list, the less contention I had. And this was getting more and more concerning as time went on. Um, and eventually I just came to a point where I thought, if I don't know these answers, I don't know how I'm going to go on. And I thought the last one I was hanging on to, Dr. Taylor, was this idea of billions of dollars. That's what our society tells us. That's what will make you happy. And one day I just realized that was not the answer because it was not going to replace the most important things that I had in my life, which was, A, my life, B, my relationship. Money wasn't going to change any of those things. And so right. that was a moment, a knee-bending moment of, I need to know the answers or I don't know how I'm going to go on living because I'm completely out of answers for the first time in my life. And over the course of the next six months, I, I asked this question sort of in a, in a moment of panic and deep yearning in, in just the hallway of my home, um, and then I let it go. And over the course of the next six months, the answers started to make their way into my awareness um, through my general walk of life. I was in a seminar, I was in the financial business in my former life, I say, um, and I was in a, a seminar for it, and the instructor was talking about the nature of investments and how everything's created by you, the choice of the investment vehicle, the amount of money, the duration, the time, when you enter, when you exit. And I thought to myself, wow, we're creating all of that. And then it hit me that it's not only in financial business, it's in every single part of life that we're creating it by our choices. And so this was a big breakthrough. It gave me this great sense of relief. And I realized, okay, the power's in me. Now I just got to figure out how to use it. And then the second thing that I realized was I had asked these huge questions. And for the first time, I realized how life talks back to us and presents us the awareness when we're ready for it through our general walk of life. And that really blew the doors off for me. And it put me in a very present state where I started asking a lot more questions. And then I had a second experience six months later that, um, dwarfed the first one where, um, just to, to be very short about this, um, I was sitting in my office at work and all of a sudden uh, a great profound insight sort of like it dropped in my head from the, the top uh, like, a, like a raindrop that hits you except it's the first one and you don't know if it's a raindrop or a bird. You're not sure what's happening. And then another one hit and another one and then I was trying to write it all down and before I knew it, it was pouring and um, I had more information than I ever in my wildest dreams thought of experiencing, and I knew from that moment on in this unbelievable state of humility that still is hard to talk about that I would want to share and, and honor this grace for the rest of my life. So that's the short four-minute, three-minute version, five-minute version on, on what happened. Um, All right. The way you described that, I guess... Uh, you state in your introductions, uh, I am, that answers are not found, they're allowed. Uh, is, 
the description you just gave us, is that what you mean by that? I mean, flesh that out. What do you mean? We, I mean, it seems to me like you were searching, searching, and they were given to you. So what is it you mean by they're allowed? Well, I really believe that for so long, having this sort of curiosity and having this open mind and not really setting a concrete idea on how the world or how the universe works, but being open to understanding that, um, open the doorway. But by being allowed, meaning that at that point where I was in that sort of knee-bending moment of asking, you know, I, I want to know, you know, not having any background in science or religion or theology, but I just, to the universe, I want to know, um, I think was saying at any cost. Like, I didn't care if it meant my life or the state of all my beliefs. I, it was that meaningful to me that I had a greater vision, a greater clarity, and a greater insight. So I was willing to give everything up. And I think that's what I mean by a state of readiness or allowing them. You're, you're willing to question any beliefs you have up to that point about who you are or life itself in order to create the space for life to have room to bring that awareness in. Because as we know, life really doesn't like a vacuum. It likes to fill it. But if your cup is full, as they say in Zen theology, there's going to be no room. So you really have to humble yourself and, and really be open to any way, shape, or form that it's going to come in, no matter how threatening it might be to the ego at first. Okay, now the devil's advocate side of that. Uh, if you're desperate and you're willing to give up your life, that's what you said, uh, it's quite probable that you're going to develop a mechanism, uh, and that mechanism is going to provide the answers to you so that you give up this notion of taking your own life, because that's what ego is really all about, balancing those things. Um, what say you when the doubting Thomas says, this is probably all an invention of your own mind? Well, I only know by my experience and what has come out of it. Um, so that, to me, is what the truth is and, and how it's affected those that have experienced it as well. Um, but I, I would say that it wasn't like I didn't want to live, but I was willing to give up the beliefs that I had or, or, or the thoughts that I knew what, what created happiness in order to, to open to something bigger. The, the truth is always wherever you're at. If, if what you're thinking and believing is working, then you're fine. There's nothing to open to. But if there is some questioning, if there is more that you want to understand, then life is begging you to say, okay, humble yourself and say, I'm ready to experience it in any way, shape, or form, and I'm not going to be afraid of it when it comes in any longer. So I guess what I would say is it, it, it's not about giving up your life, per se, in some sort of physical sense, but, but in more of a spiritual renewal of mind. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, a baptism sort of event. Okay. Uh, I like how you've written your, your books. And, and, and insofar especially as to how you define the human condition, how you approach it. So, you know, this is, the, the question I'm about to ask is somewhat rhetorical in a sense, um, but in your view, what, not who, are we? We're energy turned into, the mat, turned into matter for the purpose of experiencing our creative essence, which is really infinite. So it is energy as formed as matter and then to be expressed in, in the way, shape, and form that we feel best defines us. Okay, so let's just follow the intriguing way that you, you know, examine the question of who we are. So we just discussed what we are. Um, why are we? Well, why we are um, is because well, this is this is going to get a little bit deep and, and seem a little bit more esoteric, but we we are validating infinity individually and collectively, and so we're the constant expression of that in an infinite number of ways. And we've seen it from the inactive as the rock to the more complicated as the plant 
So the more complicated as the animal and now as the human being that is continuing to evolve. But we're, we're seeing that infinite nature of the expression of life continue to unfold. So we're a part in that overall process of, again, we're jumping right to the heart of this, but what I believe is the ultimate truth, which is infinity. But that, that's a bigger concept for the mind and something we might want to build some steps in first to, to solve right. that one. We've got a break coming up. When we come back, we'll do just that. We'll put some steps in it. We'll begin with this idea of what's infinity. Is, are we talking about ourselves as infinity? Are we talking about a whole as infinity? Are we talking about infinity as a matter of mathematical uh, construct? We're speaking with Howard Falco about his work and books, I Am and Time in a Bottle. Now, we have a video for you in our chat room today featuring our guest introducing his video blog, Two Minutes of Truth. So if you're not in the chat room already, now's a great time to get on over there. But remember, if you're driving or otherwise unable to open your computer right now, you can come back later and review the chat room details, including the video. Okay, do do please stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment. With Elton Taylor. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestselling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, It will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High is Up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Howard Falco about his work and books, I Am, and Time in a Bottle. Now, we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some genuine significance to them. Music psychology is a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including investigations 
of human aptitude, skill, intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. So on that, we just played some of Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. So please tell us, why is this music important to you, Howard, and how does it instruct us about who you are? Wow, that's awesome. Um, so this song is a story of awakening, and it when I heard it after I had gone through mine, it sent shivers through me because I had heard that song thousands of times before in my youth, and for the first time I heard it, and I heard you know, the verses and, and the lyrics were so profound to me and so connectable to my experience. Um, you know, if there's a bustle in your head, Joe, don't be alarmed now. In other words, if there's a funny feeling in your head, don't worry. It's a spring clean for the May clean. In other words, you're being cleaned out for sort of a rebirth or a renewal of mind. And the lyrics go on. You know, if there are, there's always two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's always time to change the road you're on. And that's such a profound component of the work because, it's so hopeful to know that really, truly, in any moment of our lives, everything can change when we realize the power that we have to uh, define, declare, and demonstrate who we are, which is the title of the book. So there's a tremendous amount of meaning in that song for me. I totally agree. It is a very moving song when you examine the lyrics carefully. All right, before the break... Uh, we had decided we were going to back up a little bit and define infinity, maybe build some steps in there. So I'm going to pull us clear back around to how you examined the very nature of who we are by looking at what we are and, and how we are. So how are we? Well, we're, how we are is based on the genetics that we got from previous generations and the way that their DNA um, and the way they interacted with their world for survival, and those traits were then passed down to us, not just physical, but mental traits, socialization, survival skills, um, particular tastes. Um, So those are passed to us, and then they're either nurtured further into existence or they remain latent based on our upbringing, and then our personal experiences. So those three things end up defining who we are uh, up until the point that we turn the eye on ourselves and we have questions about life. And that's hopefully when we come into some information and some understanding that there's more power to this subconscious process, more conscious power to this process than we imagined before, um, and how we can take control of it and start to begin to shift the way that we see and feel about ourselves as we realize that that's the only thing that life can really truly respond to is our truth. And so um, to me, that's why it's so important to understand the how how we have been, how we've defined our universe and ourselves, and, and how we've experienced and created that, because that's what empowers us most to move forward in that definition and that creative process. Okay, we, we have recently entertained a number of different scientists on this show, including a, a famous neuroscientist who essentially fleshes out in his book the fact that there's no such thing as will, free will, that who we are, our genetic patterns, the process of in of, of our, our our very embryonic existence, for all intent and purposes, does more than predispose us to be who we are. It actually does everything from select our gender uh, proclivities to uh, uh, forming the ability for each of us to uh, obtain what we measure as IQ. Given that, you say that who we can be is based upon what we know or our awareness. So you're the one that said we are our DNA. Flesh this out for us because I don't think you're addressing how much math we understand when you say our awareness Mm -hmm. or the languages we might speak, Mm -hmm. but, but you're also dealing with the constraints of this mechanism that we inhabit. Right. Well, there are constraints until they aren't anymore. The study of epigenetics has shown that throughout our lifetime that, those, that, DNA, that DNA coding is changing based on our interaction with our environment. And that's really the core nature of the creative process of life and evolution and how it adapts to survive. So I, I don't think it's any different from a conscious standpoint. When we have questions, I believe this is a very elegant um, and supportive universe. And when the time is right, the information based on the questions, the awareness based on the questions we've been asking enters our existence, and then it's up to our free will or, as I say, the readiness 
to experience that for, uh, for the change that we're looking for. And depending on the, the amount of fear that's in us of change is how we create time for ourselves. So as fear subsides and we come to an understanding of how connected this universe is to us and how supportive it is of, of us, our faith rises in opening to this information and stepping more out into this unknown territory that really is the place of real change. And then before you know it, it becomes familiar and it's not this, uh, you know, it's not as bad as we all thought it was going to be. So that to me is the process. I believe at any moment anything is possible and that open mind to that is what helps nurture and create that. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, millions of examples of people that live in fear and, and, and uh, sort of limitation and what that does, and then the people that don't. And having worked with athletes at the highest level in the world, that you can see how the mindset works where there is no fear of being out there in that area, and that's what allows them to produce um, at that state for themselves and for what they're looking to create. So it's no different for us in our lives, with our health, with our relationships, with our business ventures, whatever it is that we're looking to do, it's the same process. Okay. FMRI studies show us that before you make a conscious decision, six seconds before you know what the decision is, on average, an MRI technician knows what you'll decide. It's been decided and you're unconscious. And then your conscious mind makes up a story about why you decided what you decided. How do we bypass that, get into the unconscious, and begin to change the programming that, that, that exists that, you know, is actually making our choices in our life? Yeah, so at the very core, as I expressed in I Am and, and Time in a Bottle, um, I believe that intention drives life. So whatever our intention is based on how we want to define who we are is what is the driver of those choices, those thoughts, those actions and reactions. And so as we realize the power of, that we have within us to define who we are, the next step is to see how well we're defining that. So I guess my answer to you based you know, on a scientific study is the, the truth of, of my own existence and everything that, that I was looking to achieve or learn that I could achieve or didn't achieve and then wanted to figure out how through that process has been served to, to a great degree um, by life. And as I've gone down this road, it has opened more and more and more, and it's opened me more and more to this realization, which is why I'm so excited to be able to share this work with everyone, as you've done for many, many years, um, because it gives people hope. It gives them hope that the thoughts and the way that they have defined themselves and what that's produced can be changed at any moment, that they begin to believe in and see another possible version of themselves because we will only create what we feel is the maximum of our worthiness or who we believe that we are. That's why, you know, I, I often say in speeches that when you look at rap sheets of, of criminals, it, it's pages and pages, and people wonder, don't they ever learn? They go back into jail and they come right back out and, and they go commit another crime. And it's because they've never been there's never been a true rehabilitation of mind. They come out as an ex-con. They're labeled an ex-con. They don't feel worthy of themselves. They have no choice. They have to feel their existence, and the only way they know their existence is through their self-definition. And if it remains as a criminal, they're going to find the people, places, and events that match with them to validate that existence for them. So as you get back to your question about choices, I believe they're driven from that truth, those I am statements that we hold in the deepest part of us. That is why self-awareness is so critical to transformation, because you can finally see how you've been doing it, why you've been doing it, so that you can begin to become more conscious of it in your choices going forward. And my experience has been that that is what has happened over and over and over again with many, many, many people that I've visited with and seen. Okay, Howard, you, you talk about the light. Um providing these answers, these solutions, this insight. Um, and in your book, you say that you had a very special experience um, and that everybody can have it. 
have that kind of an experience, and yet yours was unique. So what do you mean by that? I meant uh, in in the history of or people that uh, have had these experiences, they've been on a spiritual path for a long time, or it's been a near-death experience, like you talked at the beginning of the show, that does this shift. And I think what's somewhat unique about it is that there was no background, no study, no uh, no near-death experience, just a deep, deep desire for answers to questions and an openness of mind. And I think that's important because it opens up a huge audience of people that who thought, well, I didn't have a near-death experience or I didn't, uh, I didn't go visit an ashram and, and sit for six months with somebody there or I haven't been to a school of theology. It, it opens up that these answers are available for everyone at any moment that they are truly ready for it. And life is always putting the conditions together to help you along this path. I mean, this moment, for anybody hearing this, is no different. It's just a matter of its impact and, and how great or small it ends up being. But, and, and this is what you, you and I both dedicated our lives to, so to play that role. Um, so it's very exciting, I think, to know that, that there isn't anybody who isn't worthy. It's not about a matter of worthiness. You are worthy upon the fact that you're burst into this universe is the... Um, self-expression of your worth, um, but it's about realizing that more. And then with that realization comes um, all the beauty that, that, that goes with that. All right. In your book, Time in a Bottle, you ask an important question, one especially important for, you know, people who are interested in co-creating their own reality. And the question that you ask is, why does it take so long? What's your answer, Howard? Um, and the simplest answer is resistance. Um, I think, like, for example, in relationships, if, um, if we we're resisting some truth about ourselves or the other person, it can create time and ultimately what we want to experience. Um, same thing with athletes. If they're resisting some part of their mechanics that aren't right or some part of their mind that isn't right, it's going to create time. So I think the more open we are, not to looking at ourselves in any sort of imperfect way, but just that we're all doing the best we can to learn at every step of life, it makes us more open to the process, and it, our mind becomes more open to those answers, so it helps collapse time as it relates to putting the conditions together for what we want and getting that information for what we really, for what we need in order to put together the conditions to give birth to whatever it is, whatever experience that we're looking to achieve in the world. So, okay, now, go ahead. go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. Go no, ahead. no, I'm, that, that, that's, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> we both worked with elite athletes, and I have never known an elite athlete that was a atheist. They Elite athletes have experiences that they sometimes say are like out of the body. Uh, they look down and they see themselves. I remember Golden Richards uh, telling me exactly that of the Dallas Cowboys. It, he looked down and saw himself. Uh, performing these great feats. Um, you indicated that earlier in our conversation that you were just an ordinary human being and um, you hadn't had one of these experiences like these elite athletes might have or like the ashram or, or so forth. Uh, but we earlier before the break had talked about infinities and I'm going to bring us back to infinity and I'm going to talk very specifically about you. Do you think that, well, first of all, do you believe in reincarnation? And if you do, do you think that you came in to this life with a, uh, special recognition or need for a path that gave rise to your growth? And that's why you had this event? Well, um, I think I came in with the right conditions through genetics and nurturing as a consciousness to to prepare me for that. Um, so I guess it's self-evident by what's happened. The answer is yes. Um, it, on the reincarnation question, I, I don't believe, like Einstein said, that matter is created or destroyed. It just shifts form, and I believe that that form is constantly or it's constantly expanding. The awareness on the nature of who we are is constantly expanding. And I believe as we look back at animals and plants and, and um, inorganic material, we're seeing that expression continue to move out um, into more and more and more and more. And, and we are the edge in that. 
Um, so if that, I guess if that means reincarnation, um, but I don't believe that that energy is created or destroyed. It just continues to transform. Okay, so your personal consciousness, let's take right. that. Your yes. personal consciousness will survive and continue, and whether you call yourself Howard or Amos is academic, it will be a continuation of who you are and what you've learned in this lifetime. Is that, that is did my, I get that right? Yeah, that's very good. I think that is my feeling, but you know, it's interesting. So many people that, you know, the greatest fear in life is death, and, and I asked them, is, or I, I sort of comment, isn't that ironic? The only truth that you've ever known is life. Why would you ever believe that there's anything else but that? That's the only thing you've ever known to be true. And so um, that was a big one for me as it relates to um, seeing that that consciousness continues. It, it goes on infinitum. And what it does for this moment is it takes all the pressure off of time running out, which allows you to be more present, allows you to be more giving, allows you to be more of a we-based mentality than an I-based mentality, where you feel like, from an I-based mentality, you feel like resources are limited, time is limited. But one of the biggest messages in Time in a Bottle, or the underlying subtext, is that that's, it's just the opposite. Time is infinite. So therefore, it allows you to be in this moment creating infinitely and expressively um, to the maximum that you can love yourself and see that potential in yourself. I, I love the notion, the only truth we've ever known is life. So we can forget about death and taxes, right? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, now we're it. right back. We're right back to where we were when we said, okay, let's hold this and back up. Why are we? We are to be an express in the biggest and vision that we hold for ourselves um, and beyond that journey and the ebbs and flows of that process. And um, the infinity of, of it all? Infinity. Pardon me? And the infinity of it all? Flesh that out for us. We are both infinite in our own nature and possibility and collectively validating that beautiful, infinite expression of all in the universe. We've never found an end in the universe. You know, there's no uh, wall out there that we've bumped into. Um, so uh, it, it shows us that, that, to me, that life itself is infinite. All right. For years, I've insisted that two of what I call the four corners to a better life are gratitude and forgiveness. You find these two critically important as well. Why? Well, from a self standpoint, because we can only give as much gratitude to others and forgiveness to others as we'll give to ourselves. So it always starts from within so that we can hold it for the rest of the world as well. Um, but it's important because if we, if we think that we were imperfect in any moment, we're really truly uh, living a lie, and that lie creates limitation, because if we don't forgive ourselves, we're going to limit ourselves in some way, shape, or form by that guilt, by that shame, and by that regret, which are the three poisons of mind. But when we forgive ourselves and see that we've truly been doing the best we can for that particular moment, and really in every single moment, um, it liberates us. It doesn't take away the responsibility for the act and what we need to learn from it, and it doesn't take away the karma of how the world's going to treat us back for that act or what the political system or the, the legal system or the relationship system is going to do with us for that, but it allows us to relieve ourselves of any sort of personal indignation or um, deprecation so that we can fill it with more self-love, self-appreciation, and respect. And when we hold that in ourselves, we tend to demonstrate that more in our thoughts and our actions and choices. So we construct a whole new reality that validates a different set of I am, a more open, a more loving set of I am's for ourselves than we did prior when it was more limited. So those are critical. All right, we're getting short of time, but I'm not going to pass on this one. I found an interesting tale in your books. So please share with us why you avoid using the word of God. I think it's the most subjective word in existence, and I believe that it's very sacred to each individual, both to the atheist and the deeply religious, and I want to leave that up to them to discover that for themselves. And I think the work speaks for itself, and that as they, they experience more of themselves, they will experience what's 
the true notion of that concept really is from a more infinite nature, if you will. All right. <laughs> I'll accept that. Uh, we've got about one minute, Howard. Uh, what I want you to do is tell everybody how they can learn more about you, what you're doing, and any uh, presentations that you're making, sure. uh, mm-hmm. where they can get your books. Um, so I'll be in Santa Fe, New Mexico at Unify Fest, the 22nd through the 25th, doing two speeches uh, there over the three-day festival. They can find the information about my books, my private session work, which I offer on uh, Skype or FaceTime or in person in my office here in Scottsdale, Arizona, at howardfalco.com. Both I Am and Time in a Bottle are both on Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon, and they should be at any independent bookstore. Um, and there's plenty of videos on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I put out material every day uh, as much as I can to share this wonderful information with everyone. So you can connect to my website or on any of the social media. Two great books, Time in a Bottle, Mastering the Experience of Life, and I Am, The Power of Discovering Who You Really Are. Uh, recommended reading. Thank you for your work, Howard, and for your willingness to share it with us. My, my honor. Thank you very much for having me on and for all the wonderful work that you do, Dr. Taylor. Well, thank you. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show. And we'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And, hey, how about tell your friends? Let's have them join us as well. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, always remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.